But yeah, good for them. So let's hop on over. So uh, crypto-related crimes have actually declined in 2020, even with crazy scam YouTube. <laughs> but DeFi hacks are kind of ticking up. So uh, yeah, they've slowed down 2020. But uh, yeah. so major crypto analytics firm CypherTrace uh, through Reuters uh, they reported on November 10th that the total losses from crypto thefts, hacks, and fraud dropped from $4.4 billion in 2019 to just $1.8 billion over the first two, 10 months of 2020. Uh, it'll probably wind out the year being about half, so a 50% decrease is pretty darn good. Uh, CypherTrace CEO said that the general decline of criminal activity in the crypto industry is the result of increased security measures. I think that makes sense. Also, just as the crypto space matures more often, um, those crypto scams where you send me X, I'll send you Y, as more and more people fall for them, they don't uh, make the same mistake a second time and they're more active and vocal about warning their friends. So those types of scams become much, much less effective as time goes on as well. But despite a major decline in these crypto crimes, they did report a notable growth of hacking incidences on decentralized finance. Makes sense to me. These are the new kids on the block, and sometimes they don't have the best security protocols. Uh, they now account for 20% of crypto losses. Dang, that's a nice chunk for DeFi. Uh, from thefts and hacks, the surge in DeFi was what was ultimately attracted these criminal hackers, resulting in the most hacks for the sector this year. I expect 2021 will beat it out as DeFi continues to expand. Really, just be very, very, very careful, um, as well as the fact that DeFi has become a haven for money launderers. It's decentralized, it's permissionless, it's really easy to swap things back and forth. Um, so yeah, CryptoTrace CEO did state companies and individuals have rushed DeFi products to market that have not gone through security verification and validation. So people are figuring out there's a weakness there. I mean, obviously. Like I don't, I don't. You rush these things to market and then you're surprised when they get hacked when you didn't do a security audit um, and money launderers are using your exchange because it's shoddy and not well put together so they can uh, swap things around easily and sneak on out of there like it makes sense now this is something to watch out for it's going to be a major contention point going forward especially as crypto grows and the percentage of people um, who are moving their illicit activities to crypto increases it's going to be a sticking point with a lot of governments so just keep an eye on that uh, moving on over, we're going to talk about a couple different things with Bitcoin right now. So Bitcoin's hash power just increased 42% in the past two days. So yeah, it jumped by roughly 30% over the last two hours, its hash power, which if sustained suggests a major, and a, I mean a major difficulty adjustment will be incoming. So the spike follows a sharp decline in hash power in late October, which many analysts actually attributed to the end of the rainy season in the Chinese mining hub of Sichuan. So yeah, it's kind of funny to think that the rainy season could contribute to a downtick in um, hash power, but uh, during the rainy season in that province, 
The abundant and cheap hydroelectric power is estimated to attract around 80% of Chinese miners to the area during the wet season. Uh, in December, CoinShares, I'm assuming that's December of 2019, estimated that the Xichuan accounted for 54% of global mining activity during this time period, which, I mean, maybe not great for Bitcoin, but they're mining a lot of other currencies there as well. So it's kind of crazy to think that the majority of mining activity is going on down there. So quantum economics analyst Jason Dean speculated that the sudden increase in Bitcoin hash power could be a sign that many Chinese miners have completed their migration from Sichuan and restored operations in other local mining hubs like Xinjiang and Inner Mongolia. So basically they're taking all their stuff back online and it's throttling, well, throttling is probably not the right word, but that's what I'm going to use, just destroying the network. So this upward adjustment would come at the to the chagrin of non-Chinese miners who have been enjoying boosted profits after the downtick in October. Uh, it resulted in a 16% negative difficulty adjustment, which is the second largest downwards adjustment in Bitcoin's history. So, yeah, it... Um, it's kind of interesting to see it's going to be harder for certain miners, well, any miner, to achieve profit on Bitcoin or it will definitely hurt their profits. So we'll see how this goes. We'll probably see another downswing after this upswing as some people go, whoa, I can't make money on this. I'm going to mine a different crypto for a little bit until things calm down. Entirely possible. Or they might stick it out because they believe Bitcoin's going to be going to 50 or 100K over the next uh, couple months so they're gonna get what they can while they can but hopping on over to the last thing we gotta talk about uh, three reasons Bitcoin rallied over 60% in just the past two months which uh, I think it uh, is only the beginning that's my point and my opinion so one of the reasons is increased institutional participation uh, over the past eight weeks, we've seen various notable public companies and hedge funds enter the market with a sizable deployment of capital. In October, leverage in the derivatives market was also skewed bullish, with institutions holding record long positions in Bitcoin futures. So this increased institutional participation likely created upward pressure on prices, and it buoyed broader market sentiment and prompted more buyers to hop in the market. As well as this, the number of Bitcoin whale entities or clusters of addressees held by a single network participant holding at least a thousand Bitcoin rose to four year highs at the end of October. Retail participation did increase as well, though not to the amount that it did back in 2016. But it does help to push the accumulation addresses metric to record highs. On the other side of things, because of all this, we're hitting a supply crunch. Um, between Grayscale's Bitcoin Trust MicroStrategy and the influx of other large spot buyers, the supply of Bitcoin is beginning to look more scarce. Uh, and then retail investors took direct custody of their coins by moving them from exchanges to their own wallets, adding to a drying up of sell-side liquidity. Uh, the total number of Bitcoins held on crypto exchanges has fallen 9% to just 2.4 million Bitcoin in the past two months, which is pretty darn interesting i rather like it 
but this decline in exchange balances is indicative of strong holding sentiment in the market. Basically, they're like, ah, I'm not going to play around with this. I'm going to hold on to this and wait for things to go crazy. And then, of course, there is the technical breakout that happened in the third week of October when we broke above $12.5,000 convincingly. Uh, analysts had pointed to this level back then as the level to beat for bulls because the cryptocurrency has declined, had declined sharply, falling rejection back in August. With that break above and then the subsequent race to the $15,000 we're sitting thereabouts at now, uh, we are in a really, really, really good spot. But that will do it for the trending articles in the crypto news space today. Day. Uh, let's hop on over, take a look at the top 10 cryptos by market cap. Everything other than Litecoin and Bitcoin Cash is in the green right now. Uh, Bitcoin sitting at $15,203, Ethereum at basically $445. Good for both of them, both still up very well over the course of the week. Uh, Bitcoin Cash and Litecoin, while down on the day, are still up over the week as well. Like a very strong performance for all the coins. Cardano has reclaimed the number 10 spot over uh, Bitcoin SV. USDC coin was there for a hot second as well. Uh, but let's take a look. Biggest winner on the day. Uh, if you hold Civic, congratulations to you. It's up 38.88% on the day and 467.23% on the week ave coming in at number two up 27 percent on the day up 133.98 percent on the week thank goodness it had been tanking for a while i had bought in a little bit so i'm glad to see my investment has uh in the positives biggest loser on the day wow it's a pretty good day decred is down 4.83 percent and that's the biggest loser that's it not too bad, not too bad at all. Hopefully the green continues. But that will do it for this episode of Crypto Top 10. As always, my name is John. If you've made it to this point, hit that subscribe button. Why don't you? Because uh, I do this almost daily when my child does not keep me away. He's currently sleeping uh, like an angel upstairs. We'll see how long that continues. Um, otherwise, yeah, check out the links down in the description that you can follow to check out all the articles discussed about today. And I'll be hitting you guys up tomorrow. Peace. Alrighty. Well, hey, good morning, everybody. John here, back again with Crypto Top 10 to hit you up with some of the trending articles in the crypto news space. Got a decent little lineup for you guys today, so we'll try to burn through things as quickly as we can. As always, off the top, thanks to all those who have subscribed. I really do appreciate it. And down in the description of the episode, you will find link or links to the articles discussed. But without further ado, let's hop on in and get talking. First up is Monero. Uh, apparently, it was targeted by an attack really recently. So... Monero's former lead maintainer, Ricardo Fluffy Pony, God, I love crypto, Spaghini, has reported via Twitter that the network was targeted by what's called a Sybil attack. Uh, he clarified that while the attack was novel, it was inefficient and it didn't affect anything. So someone tried and they failed. Uh, specifically, the attack attempted to correlate the IP addresses of a node transmitting a transaction. However, they'd already patched a potential flaw with this back in 
April when they implemented a method to hide and prevent the anonymity of transaction data from being breached by interfering with node communications. Look at that. So the developer added that the attack received by Monero was inefficient because it did not have the required extension to be broadly effective against this upgrade. Uh, the attacker should have launched thousands of nodes, according to uh, Spaghini, but he claims it still would have been unable to violate the privacy of any transactions on the blockchain. Uh, Spaghini is pretty popular in the crypto community, or a fluffy pony. Uh, he warned that a civil attack with the described characteristics can affect Bitcoin or any other cryptocurrency like Ethereum, Litecoin, and others. Uh, in addition, if the attack was less clumsy than the one that was tr attempted on Monero, or more subtle or more sophisticated, um, and things like if the attacker had more money, uh, typically when someone tries to hack a blockchain like they did with Ethereum Classic, you actually have to spend a decent amount of money to get the computing power acquired. Most people don't have uh, multiple supercomputers laying around, so you kind of have to spend money to buy up all that hash power so that way you can create these false transactions and siphon off the funds. So it's, uh, it's possible, according to him. On Bitcoin and Ethereum especially, I think it would be prohibitively expensive. Like... If you had that much money to spend on hacking Ethereum or Bitcoin, you might as well just buy Ethereum or Bitcoin and whatnot because the security of the market is such that uh, you'll make way more money in the mid to long term than you would by siphoning off 20 or $30 million today. That's just my opinion. But yeah, no, pretty cool to see that uh, Monero is able to withstand those heavy attacks and... Uh, yeah, not more to report on that. Let's hop on over. Uh, Ethereum 2.0, specifically why Earn DeFi um, has a proposal for retail investors with the upcoming Ethereum 2.0. So the deposit contract for the launch of Ethereum 2.0 is officially live. Uh, went up about six days ago. The next goal is to have a total of 524,288 Ethereum exactly by December the 1st through 16,384 different deposits of 32 Ethereum each to activate the beacon chain. Obviously, for small and private investors, getting 32 Ethereum in this day and age could be a bit of a hurdle. Um, it's not like insanely, insanely expensive, but it is pretty freaking expensive at this point. Uh, so... The develop, a developer from the YEARN Finance community made a proposal to set up an Ethereum 2.0 validator vault. So the idea is that it would be similar to a mining pool, uh, which is operated by a proof-of-work network where the hash rates are combined, but this would be for staking. Uh, it's intended to allow small investors to deposit a smaller amount than 32 Ethereum and still participate in the process. Uh, each participant would receive so-called LP tokens or liquidity provider tokens for his or her deposit. So if a participant puts in 1.5 Ethereum, they'd get 1.5 YB Ethereum, uh, the Ethereum pool token for YEARN. This could create additional incentives and a secondary market for Ethereum 2.0. And the proposal goes on to say that this could provide more liquidity. Honestly, I really, really like the idea. Um, and it would also allow lending on other DeFi platforms and trading on other exchanges. Realistically, a lot of people out there who want to participate and want to stake Ethereum might not have the full 32, they might have 5, 10, 16, 20, and don't have the funds to require the rest, 
or they might have 32 but lack the technical knowledge to set up and participate in the, the beacon chain. So doing this would potentially make it much more accessible for a lot of users. So I really like that idea. Uh, the proposal is currently under discussion and a final result is expected in about three days after the fellowship, of course, gotta love crypto, has voted on it. A total of 20% of Wi-Fi owners must agree to the code in order for it to be accepted. Uh, the community is pleased with the proposal, but there is some criticism. Uh, one community member explained that the proposal cannot be implemented securely because someone would have to have control over the private keys of all participants which is uh, not something I would really like to put my money into, knowing someone has access to all those coins. Uh, yeah, I wouldn't want to give my private key over to a third party, but the idea behind it is kind of cool. I like it, and if they could make some changes so that way you're not giving your private keys away, that would be awesome. Just my opinion. But hey, what do I know? But hopping on over, a nice little interview with the new CEO of the Cardano Foundation, Frederick Giergaard. Uh, he participated in the 113th episode of the podcast, The Cardano Effect. It is um, Cardano Foundation's official podcast. Uh, the CEO positively stated that his connections in the banking sector indicate that cryptocurrencies and blockchain technology are here to stay. Well, I think we all know that, but it's good to hear it from someone who actually does have a long professional history and good connections in that industry. Uh, he sees a clear path for the adoption of ADA at an institutional level. Uh, he was quoted as saying, I already know that some banks can do this, but I'm not allowed to mention their names because they think there may be some regulatory turmoil. I need to agree with them before I disclose. But it can be done today. There are possibilities for that in the future. As, an, as a banker, I know which buttons to push. Okay, a little confident there, Frank. Um, but, you know, eh. You don't get to be CEO by being uh, timid. So expanding on that previous point, he spoke uh, about the privacy features of Cardano and what they have to have in order to be adopted by the banking institutions. He actually does believe that between Bitcoin and ADA, there is a one-to-one -one parity in terms of privacy. Uh, the only difference between the cryptocurrencies is in their consensus protocol. You know, Cardano, proof of stake, Bitcoin, proof of work. It makes sense to me. Um, yeah, picture Frank Kierkegaard. For those of you who can't see, uh, he is bald with a beard, so he just radiates confidence. Um, though thankfully he doesn't have an 80s power tie, so I'm going to give it to him on that. Welcome to the modern era. But still, they're trying to make it seem like they're pushing for an ADA standard instead of a Bitcoin standard. Yeah, we'll see how that goes. I love Cardano, but I'm not blind. Bitcoin is the standard bearer and will be for some time. However, Cardano getting into the banking industry a little bit, maybe compete with Ripple somewhat on certain things, uh, would be good for both cryptos and competition as a whole. So remains to be seen, but I do like that uh, Frederick is pretty confident about things. Hopefully there's some substance to back up his style. But hopping on over, uh, my Ether wallet, it just swiped right. Oh God, what an article title. For more DeFi liquidity, nice one. 
So they just announced a partnership with One Inch Exchange, which is a DeFi liquidity aggregator allowing swaps for more than 485 cryptocurrencies. That is pretty good. And this is actually really, really good news. My Ether wallet uh, has integrated with uh, other DeFi's in the past, but this integration promises to add a crap ton of cryptocurrencies, as well as the fact that One Inch Exchange combines liquidity from 11 different decentralized exchanges to offer users the best exchange rate. So really they're getting in on a pretty impressive one. Um, yeah, so the MyEther wallet founder and CEO stated we already have Dex.ag integrated and now we're gonna be adding one inch. Uh, both are Dex aggregators, which will go through all Dexes for the best rate and offer them to the user. So everyone benefits. Uh, the one inch exchange takes the trading liquidity for crypto assets found on different decentralized exchanges like Uniswap or Kyber Network and consolidates it into one signal interface, which is fantastic. You need clean, simple interfaces and combining things like this, I love, so you don't gotta page through things on your own. Uh, my Ether wallet has partnered with other services, including Bitly, Simplex, and Changely to offer swaps for different cryptos. However, DEX and OneInch offer decentralized alternatives to these centralized trading partners, which will potentially net better prices and lower trading fees for us users. Woo! Uh, OneInch CEO was pretty happy with this, stating with the MEW integration, they will have more options for swapping tokens directly in their wallets, as coin offerings will be substantially expanded. This partnership with MyEtherWallet, a long-established player in the crypto space, comes as a validation of One Inch's rapid growth and product development. Woo! There we go. Look, this is a very good thing for anyone who uses MyEtherWallet. It gives you more options. It gives you more liquidity. For those of us who don't use MyEtherWallet, it actually creates a really good argument for why you should test it out and try it, as well as One Inch gets access to the MyEtherWallet's current user base. It's a win-win for both products, and it's actually a win for the users as well. So really happy with this, um, and I'm excited to see how this partnership develops.